So yeah, I shaved this past week. You may have noticed, maybe you didn't notice. I mentioned that because the last time I shaved my beard off, that was eight years ago, the last time I shaved my beard off, I had been preaching for two weeks and one of the ladies in the church, and you know who you were, one of the ladies came up to me after I'd been preaching two weeks without a beard and she said, you shaved your beard off. And then she said, you look so young. And I loved that. And then she said, grow it back. <laughs> so apparently, uh, apparently an older looking preacher is a better looking preacher. I've been wanting to shave the beard off for a long time now and thinking about how to do it. And it, you, there's some considerations I have to keep in mind. You, you have to keep in mind, I have my son Connor at home. And Connor is autistic and, and with autistic children, very often they don't like change. They don't like anything that's different. Everything has to stay the same. And so I knew if I was going to shave and make this kind of a change, I was going to have to do it with Connor's approval. And so last Monday, I began shaving. I started off, I just shaved my chin and took a little bit off here and left the, uh, rather, left the rest of it as kind of a big bushy set of sideburns. And, and I shaved my chin and I went to see Connor and Connor touched my chin and laughed and kind of gave his approval. And then I shaved the sides here. So I had this one long mustache at that point. I went back and showed Connor and he laughed and he put his hand up against my cheek and he smiled and everything seemed fine. Finally, I shaved it down. I had a, had a nice set of handlebars for a little bit. I had a little soul patch going on for a little bit, but little by little, I took the beard off and little by little, Connor approved and he recognized me and, and everything was just fine. He soaked it in and I needed him to accept what I was doing. So I had to take it just piece by piece. You know, back at the beginning of Luke 15, it was there that the Pharisees and the scribes are observing Jesus and they're watching him and they say, they're in chapter, chapter 15, verse 2, they say of Jesus, this man, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. They've, they've set up a wall in their minds that there are certain people who are acceptable and other people who are not acceptable. There are certain people who are worthy of our time, worthy of our attention, worthy of our friendship, and worthy of our forgiveness, and then there are others that aren't. And Jesus begins to shave away those ideas. And he begins working on that and shaving that away, and kind of chipping that wall down he tells the story of a lost sheep. He tells the story of a lost coin. And then he tells the story of a lost son. And little by little, he's chipping it away. Little by little, he's shaving that down. And as we begin chapter 16 of Luke, which is where we will be today, it's there in chapter 16. Well, you and I need to realize this, first of all. There are no chapter divisions in the Bible originally. Luke did not write chapter 15 and then turn around and make a little note up at the top. This is chapter 16. Those are artificial. Those are not part of the story. And the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus in chapter 15, they're still listening in chapter 16. And sooner or later, they're going to realize what he's doing. Sooner or later, their eyes are going to be open to the change that he's calling for. And I'll tell you this, unlike my son Connor, they're not going to like what Jesus has done. 
We're going to continue on in Luke chapter 16 with a very strange and difficult parable from Jesus. It begins in verse 1. He also said to his disciples, hear that carefully, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. <laughs> I have to tell you, this is, this is by far the most difficult parable that we have from Jesus, the most difficult parable that he ever told. It is hard to understand, and, and it doesn't even help that at the end he tells us what it means. He tells us in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What, what does that mean? How do we make friends with unrighteous? Why do we even have unrighteous wealth and how are we going to win friends with it it seems clear to me that even though verse 1 tells us that Jesus is addressing the disciples those Pharisees they're still listening they're still hearing what he's saying and I think what Jesus is doing is he's chipping away at this wall that they've built between themselves and others, between clean and unclean. He is slowly shaving all of that away. And Jesus cuts that wall, kind of like me with my son Connor. I'd go to Connor and say, do you recognize me? I think Jesus is saying, do you recognize yourselves? Do you recognize what I'm calling you to? This man receives sinners and eats with them? It's a call for all of us. It's a call for us to look at the people around us and ask ourselves, are we, are we building walls? And do those walls between us and others, do those need to come down? And so as we read the parable of the dishonest manager, we've got questions here. But the biggest questions are the ones that Jesus is asking us through telling this story. He's asking you to consider, who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Who is worthy of your time? Who is it that is worthy of your friendship? Who is even worthy of your generosity? 
Now, I've already mentioned that the chapter divisions are artificial. They were not there when Luke was writing. Luke didn't finish the story of the prodigal son and say, that's chapter 15, I think I'll get some sleep, and tomorrow I can start on chapter 16. It didn't work like that. There's no real break there. So verse, and, and verse 1 doesn't allow for that. If you read again, verse 1 begins, he also, he also said to the disciples, the lesson is continuing from chapter 15. And in fact, if you look close, there are some connections between this difficult parable and the beloved parable of the prodigal son. I mean, that's the irony of it. The prodigal son is probably Jesus' best-known parable, his most loved parable. People understand the prodigal son. We get the point of it. And then we come to this one. But, you know, I want you to think about the parable of the prodigal son. You, you likely know it. You know it fairly well. It's there in that story that the, the son, the, the second son, the prodigal, he takes his father's money, he takes his inheritance, and he goes to a distant country and he squanders it, doesn't it? He, doesn't he? He, he squanders his money, he wastes his money. He gets into a mess, and then he ends up doing an honorable thing. He comes back home to his father, seeking forgiveness and seeking his father's care. Then we come to the parable of the dishonest manager. Luke 16, verse 1, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Would it surprise you to find that the word wasting there in verse 1 is the exact same word in the Greek in chapter 15, verse 13, that describes the prodigal son as squandering his possessions, that he's squandering what he has? It's the same word. There are connections here. These, these parables are a set. They belong together. You cannot let that wall of chapter 16, that chapter division, separate them. Just as you can't allow walls that say, saint, sinner, clean, unclean, separate us from the people around us. And so with this parable, Jesus is asking those who are willing to listen, he's asking us to consider, who are you investing in? Who are you making an investment in? Does your time, does your energy, and, and do your resources, do they go just to feed yourself, to make yourself happy? Or, or is there something more? Is there someone else you're investing in? Because, you know, anything that we do for ourselves in this world, anything we do for ourselves in this world is temporary. But the way we invest in other people, boy, that that has eternal consequences. The way we care for other people, that has eternal consequences. I had a lady come to the church office a few weeks ago, and she had been out of work because of COVID-19, and she was finally able to go back to work, but it was still going to be a little while before she got her first paycheck. And she came to me, and she said very humbly, I just need $40 for groceries this week. That's all I need, $40 for groceries this week. <laughs> you and I, through the ministry of Kansas Christian Church, we didn't give her $40. We gave her more than $40. She knew exactly what she needed, but we know exactly what grace 
does. And we know how grace changes people, and we know how, tra- how grace em- empowers people. We knew to give more, and, and I think Jesus is speaking to us in these verses that follow the parable. Verses 10 through 13, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I don't, I don't think he's just talking to the disciples here. I don't think they're the you in that statement there. I think Jesus is counting on the Pharisees to overhear him here with the unrighteous wealth that they had collected. What are they doing with that? Who have they fed? Who have they helped? I think he's also counting on you and me to be overhearing also, to be listening in on this conversation. Who are you investing in? That's an important question for all of us. That's an important question as we consider this parable. There's another question that we have to ask ourselves, though, and that is this. Where where will those investments take you? Where will those investments take you? You know, the prodigal son, he loved his money until it was gone. He loved his money until it was gone, and then he found himself living and sleeping and eating among the pigs. The dishonest manager, he loved his master's money until it was gone. And then he was afraid he was going to have to work or he was going to have to beg. Verse 14 comes along as Jesus concludes this parable. And verse 14 says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. They were listening. <laughs> they weren't liking what they were hearing, but, but they were listening. And then verse 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The economy of the kingdom of God is paid in love. It's paid in the way that we care for others. Are we hearing him? Where will our investments, the way we invest in other people, where will that take us? You know, spiritually, as well as practically, I think it's one of the best questions that we can ask ourselves. To go back again to verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Did you hear it? So that when it fails, when it fails. It's not if, it's not maybe, it's not, well, the economy might get better. It's when, when it fails. If all we're living for is what we can amass for ourselves today, If all we're living for is our own little empire, 
You already know you can't take it with you. You already know that truth from Scripture. And Jesus spells that out in Matthew. Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know that's true. But practically, in the day by day, how do you and I live that truth out? The dishonest manager gets himself in trouble. He gets... He gets out by shortchanging his master. He shows shows the debtors that he values them more than he values the money that they owe. And so the response there in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. You and I are the sons, the children of light here. Jesus is pointing this statement at us. And if this dishonest man, if this dishonest man can see the value in other people, then what about us? Shouldn't we be able to see the value of others? If he can bless them, then who are we blessing? And what is that blessing ultimately going to do for us? I'm talking to a lot of preachers these days, checking in on my friends, making sure they're doing okay. A lot of preachers are going through rough times right now. They're, they're not sure how to navigate this. None of us have ever done anything like this before. So I've been checking in on, on my friends. And, you know, one of the big concerns from the beginning of the whole COVID-19 crisis, one of the big concerns we had for churches was in giving. Would people continue to give? When, even if we couldn't meet together, would people continue to give to the church? Would they continue to support? And yet the overwhelming response that I've gotten when I'm talking to my preacher friends, the overwhelming response is that giving is doing great. People continue to give. And in fact, in, in some very small churches, giving is up more than it's ever been before. I wonder if part of it is that we're not going out and spending money the way we used to spend money. I think a big part of it is we all know these are difficult times and we know how important it is to pull together. We know how important it is to to contribute and to help out. Everyone knows we need to care for each other. Everyone knows we need to give. Everyone knows we need to be blessing. Everyone knows where those kind of investments take you. And it's just like what Jesus teaches through this, through this parable. When you invest in other people, you're really investing in the kingdom of God. The parable starts out, verse 1, there was a rich man. Verse 1, there was a rich man. Then verse 14 comes along, and in verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money... Interesting how those go together. And if you read on down just a few verses, the very next story that Jesus tells is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You may be familiar with the story of the rich man and Lazarus, but if you look at verse 19, as Jesus begins that story, verse 19 starts out, there was a rich man. Huh. (laughs) That's not a coincidence. There Jesus tells the story of a of another rich man, a rich man who feasts every day. And yet at his gates, there is a poor beggar who's been thrown there. 
a poor beggar that he never cared for, never fed, and eventually the poor beggar Lazarus dies, and the rich man dies, and the beggar is welcomed to Abraham's table, while the rich man goes into torment. Now, I'm confident the Pharisees were listening. These Pharisees who have said, well, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. These Pharisees who did their own feasting. When he told the story of the lost sheep, he concluded that story by saying that the shepherd called his friends together and said, rejoice with me. When he told the story of the lost coin, he concluded that story by saying when the woman found the coin, she called her friends together and said, rejoice with me. When the prodigal son comes home, the father kills the fatted calf. He throws a party. Rejoice with me. And there is a feast. When trouble hits, if you invest in people, you find eternal blessings. And if you don't, it seems that the alternative is torment of some sort, anguish of some sort. The Pharisees were listening, but were they hearing? Are we hearing for that matter? I think the place for you and I to begin hearing for ourselves, to begin hearing Jesus for ourselves, I think the place to begin is again there in verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. The battle for our hearts, the battle for our souls is not fought in the big things, it's fought in the little things. It's fought in those little choices that you make day by day, the little choices to show little kindnesses. And the battles that may look, they may look insignificant, but when you look closer, they show that something's working within us. Uh, small battles, the even insignificant ways that we care for others, uh, the way that we might bless someone, the way we might encourage someone, the way you return your shopping cart at Aldi, do you go back to get your quarterback or do you pass that cart on to someone else? Do you see a person that might be in need and, and help them out in some small way? Do we reach out? Do we find others that we can help? One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And I would ask you to consider, is there, where is the very little? Where is the very little that you can be faithful in this week? Where is the, the one person that you could bless? The one gift that you could give? The one that you could care for? And I promise you, when you look, uh, that, which, that which looks like something that's just so little to you, it might be huge to someone else. And then in terms of eternity, that, that small blessing, it can last a lot longer than you and I could begin to imagine. Little by little, Jesus cuts away. <laughs> little by little, he cuts away at the Pharisees. And the question is, at the end of all of this, are they even going to recognize themselves? Will they see not only his challenge, but will they see his promise? Will they trust in the true riches that he promises? 
little by little, you and I see more of ourselves in these stories. We shouldn't just look at where we've failed, though. It's too easy to just beat ourselves up and look at where we've failed and look at where we've missed the point. Let's look for opportunities to be faithful. Let's look for opportunities to be faithful even in the very little things so that we can learn to trust Him with the big things and find our hearts given over to His kingdom. We're going to take communion here in a moment. If you've got communion prepared, I encourage you to get that ready. If, even if it's just crackers and some juice, we, we so miss getting to do this together. It's so wonderful when we get to do this together. and Hopefully us taking it together at this time, uh, that brings a little bit of that back. But you know, it's a reminder that when Christ gave himself, he gave his all. He submitted his body to be broken, nails to be run through his through his arm, through his hands, through his feet on that cross, his blood to be spilled in so many ways. He gave so much. And yet, as Jesus points out here to you and me, our faithfulness starts in the small things. And so as we commit ourselves to, to him again this week, as we come to his table, as we take into ourselves who he is, let's look for the little gifts. Let's look for the little ways that we can be faithful to him this week. Because those little blessings that we might have for someone else, they are going to mean so much. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in our deepest need, you gave and you gave so generously. Lord, you gave your son's body to be broken, his blood to be shed. We take the bread today reminding us of that. The cup today reminds us of, the, of his blood. Father, I pray that we're reminded not only to take and to do this together, but we're reminded that together we can make some huge differences in people's lives. Together we can bring eternal blessings, even through small gifts, through small little gifts of generosity that we give to someone else. Lord, open our hearts and open our eyes to those opportunities. And I pray that we will know, as we are faithful, we will know you and we will know your blessing all the more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Go in peace.